Welcome to Donnacloney Parish Podcast. If you want to know more information about the parish, how to support us, or for other social media, please go to www.donnacloneyparish.co.uk. Thank you. Let's pray before we open God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us today as we look at what you have to say through your Word about the present and the future. Help us by your Spirit to so live in the light of what we hear today that we may be comforted and encouraged to keep on trusting in your Son. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining with us online on YouTube this morning. It's great to have you. And I hope you're able to open your Bibles and to study along as we teach from Matthew 24. It's a bit sad that we're not able to gather, but look, we just want to keep each other safe and, and, and to be above reproach. So we will be able to gather on the 13th. And please book into that and, and join in all the festivities and different things that we can do uh, that are not just in the, in the church building. And I really encourage you also as a church family to be phoning and calling in with your neighbours, checking in with them, checking with friends and family to see if they're all right. So please be phoning people and praying for them and blessing them in the name of the Lord. Well... As I speak, and as I speak today, uh, there is less than a month until Christmas. For me, as a man, that terrifies me, because uh, I don't have Lisa's, all of Lisa's presents but yet. But for every child, and for everyone who loves Christmas, that sh- sends a shiver of excitement down our spine. Next week, the chocolate advent calendars break forth. And also, we'll be doing our Christmas countdown at 6.30 each evening, as George announced uh, at the start of the service. That'll be just a little way of teaching us through the Bible how Jesus was promised right the way through the Bible uh, until we get to Christmas Day. And most people assume that Advent is like a, just like a calendar. It's a countdown to Christmas where you open a wee door and you get to the 23rd and, oh, we're nearly near Christmas Eve, here it is, and then Christmas Day you get the big chocolate bar. Well, I hate to tell you, Advent isn't about that at all. What Advent is about is looking forward to the second coming of Christ. As we head towards Jesus' first coming, we anticipate and we prepare ourselves for his second coming. And this section of Matthew, Matthew 24, uh, we've got the fifth of five teaching blocks in Matthew's Gospel. And this teaching block has similarities to the first, which is in chapters 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Because look down at Matthew 24 and verse 3, and you'll see Jesus is sitting down on a mountain and he's teaching. He's teaching. Uh, But this time, He's teaching about his return. And here, whereas Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was in Galilee, here we have Jesus overlooking Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. And his disciples looked at the view. They saw Jerusalem and they were very impressed. They looked absolutely beautiful. But verse 2, Jesus looks at the same view and he says, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. We don't often think of Jesus as a prophet. He is a prophet. And here he is prophesying the destruction of the temple 
and the fall of Jerusalem. It happened in AD 70, when the Roman army came into the city, wrecked it, and left the temple in ruins. All that remains of the temple today is the Western Wall, or as it's more commonly known, the Wailing Wall. Maybe you've been to Jerusalem, maybe you've been to it. Well, the disciples assumed that the destruction of the temple would bring about Jesus' return. Look at verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Notice those two questions. When will this be and what's the sign? And those two questions prompt Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24 and 25. Now let me warn you, as we start to get into this passage, it's not the easiest of passages, uh, but I want us this morning to see how a past event and a present reality symbolize and guarantee the return in the future of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. A past event and the present realities symbolize and guarantee in the future Jesus' return. Now what makes these verses hard to get is that Jesus moves between the past, the present, and the future as he speaks here. I guess it's like as if you climb up a set of mountains and you see these three peaks that are all together and as you climb to the first one you realize how far the second one is and then how far away the third one is. So what we're going to do this morning as we study through this passage is to look at the three peaks of the present, or the past, should I say, the present and the future. So the past, which is the fall of Jerusalem. This is what Jesus speaks about in verses 1 and 2, in verses 15 to 22, and verses 32 to 35. Now, of course, for the disciples listening to Jesus in AD 33, this was a future event which would take in AD 70. But for us, it is a past event. It's already happened. Historians have told us about it. And that devastating event is a symbol and a foreshadowing of the return of Christ. You see, both times Jesus comes to judge, in the past and in the future. In AD 70, he judged Israel in the temple. That was a dramatic end to the old Israel. The old Israel who had failed to recognize their long-awaited Messiah, their long-awaited promised King. And one day in the future, Jesus will judge not just Israel, but the whole world. And he'll destroy all those who failed to see him as God's King, the Messiah, the Christ. And in verses 15 to 22, as we go through the passage, Jesus describes how terrible that destruction of Israel by the Romans really was. He talks about, so when you see, verse 15, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. What he's talking about there is the holy place in the temple. That is, Pagan armies would come and defile the temple. Now that had happened before in 167 BC, a guy called Antiochus Epiphanes 
had come in and set up an altar in the, right in the holy place to the great god Zeus. And Jesus said that's going to happen again. And what should his disciples do when the Romans come in and destroy the temple and desecrate it? Well, verse 16, then let those who are left in Judea flee to the mountains, run to the hills. And what we need to see here is the rush. There's no time to hang around here. There's no time, verse 17, to go downstairs and to get anything out of the house. Or in verse 18, to get your coat. Verse 19, it's going to be terrible for mums. Verse 20, let's hope it doesn't happen on a cold day or on a holy day. Because verse 21, this destruction will be worse than anything or any city has or will ever experience. Now, as always with the Bible, history is on our side. The historian Eusebius tells us that's exactly what happened in AD 70. When the Romans came and desecrated the temple and occupied Jerusalem and destroyed the city in AD 70, the Christians ran to the hills. They fled to the mountains as they remembered the words of Jesus. And by fleeing, by escaping to the hills, the vast majority of the Christians survived. Now, obviously, these commands are very specific for a specific time. Jesus isn't commanding us to run to the hills, although maybe we might feel we want to do that. So the application for us is going to be different. Surely the application here is that when Jesus speaks, it will happen. He said Jerusalem would fall, and in AD 70 it did. He said that the temple will be judged and destroyed, and it was. That's what Jesus means in verses 32 to 35. Look at verse 34. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He said he'd return, and he will. He said that all will be judged, and we will. So if we're looking for a sign of Jesus' return, here's the big one not to miss. The fall of Jerusalem, AD 70. A past event which both symbolizes and foreshadows the return of Christ. Application of that, when Jesus speaks, listen to him. He speaks the truth. So that's the past. The next peak we want to look at is the present, the present reality. So in verses 3 to 14 and verses 23 to 26, Jesus switches from speaking about a particular event to what is true of the whole time between his ascension to heaven and his coming again. That is, what is true for you and me today? What we should expect in our generation and every generation until Christ returns. So what we should expect is false Christs. Do you see them there in verses 5 and 24? False Christs. Some of them looking pretty real with their tricks and great signs and their wonders. Verse 6, we should expect wars and rumors of wars. There will never be peace on earth until Jesus returns. Verse 7, there will be famines and earthquakes. But does that mean that the end is close? 
Look at the end. Look at verses 6 and particularly to the end of verse 8. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. End of verse 8. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then Jesus gets even more specific about the distress that Christians face. Verse 9, we'll be persecuted. You and I need to be praying for the persecuted church throughout the world. Verse 10, some will fall away and end up hating other Christians. Verse 11, some will be led astray. Verse 12, there will be an increase of wickedness and lovelessness, which is why verse 13, we need to endure. And why verse 14, we need to keep proclaiming the gospel throughout the world. Indeed, verse 14 suggests that if we want Jesus to come back, if we want to hasten his coming, we need to be busy with sharing the gospel throughout the whole world. Only then will the end come. But so what? Why is it so important for us to know these things and what will happen between Jesus' ascension and his coming again, between his first coming and his second coming? Well, we need to know because it will keep us from being led astray and worried, and it will help us keep on going to the end. That's the application of this bit of the teaching. In fact, that's how Jesus starts this whole book of teaching. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Christ and will deceive many. Jesus knows so well that when it comes to thinking about his return, it's all too easy for you and I to be deceived. So someone claims to be a Christ or a new prophet, the Jehovah's Witnesses or Joseph Smith and the Mormons, David Korash and the Waco cult. Don't be led astray. And there's a plethora of websites and books and sermons in the end times. Don't be led astray. And then verse 6, don't be alarmed. When you hear of wars, when you hear, when you're persecuted, and actually I, I think that's where many of us are. We live in a time when to believe what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him is increasingly seen not just as irrelevant, but as our world is something dangerous. If we're to carry on being Bible-believing Christians, we will be increasingly hated. In the Church of England, there's been a new report released on relationships called Living in Love and Faith, which encourages members of the church lay and ordain to listen and learn from each other. A leading Church of England lesbian activist called Jane Wazan has lashed out against Bible-believing Christians who called to the clear teaching of the Bible and sexual ethics, accusing them of being, get this, Holocaust deniers and rapists. In an article for the gay news, gay news website, Pink News, she says that those who teach that LGBT lifestyles are sinful and explain biblical teaching on singleness and celibacy, even though she was somebody who wrote the report, she says that those churches holding to the Bible's teaching on sexual ethics are Holocaust deniers and rapists. A statement issued by the Ozan Foundation, of which Jane Ozan is the founder and director, welcomed the resource, but the activist was outraged that LGBT people should be asked to listen and learn from conservative communities of faith. She said, 
Would one invite a survivor of the Holocaust to sit down and listen to the rantings of a Holocaust denier? Would one ask a rape victim to sit with, down with a rapist and understand why they want to rape people? It's not only ridiculous, it is downright dangerous. On Twitter, Ozan added, homophobic teaching, no matter how civilly expressed, is both dangerous and harmful, full stop. That's what's coming down the line for us people. Do you see how preaching the good news of the love of God it calls all of us, whatever our sexuality may be, to repent and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, is now seen as a hate crime, something dangerous. How did the world ever get like that? Don't be alarmed, verse 9. It's exactly what Jesus said would happen. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. Don't be, a, a, don't be led astray. Don't be alarmed. But do endure, verse 13. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's what we're called to do. To keep on keeping on sharing the love of God and Jesus Christ. To keep on loving him even while we're hated for it. Even though we'll have the heartbreak of seeing some grow cold and others led astray. Endure the end because the end will be glorious. That brings us to the third peak, the future, the return of Christ. And that's what verses 27 to 31 are talking about. So in verse 27, when Jesus comes again, everyone is going to see it. It'll be like lightning in the sky. The point about it all of what Jesus is saying is that there will be not one person who misses it. We will all see it if we're living. So it's not like verse 26, it's private. Jesus has come back, but you missed it because you weren't in the room when he came. No, this will be unmissable. It will also be dramatic. Verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now that sort of language is strange to us. But in the Bible, it's what's called apocalyptic language. It's the sort of teaching you get in passages of the Bible like Daniel and Revelation. And apocalyptic language is used to describe the indescribable. Imagine you or me trying to describe the end of the world. Well, surely it's going, to, uh, it's going to involve some abnormal events, and so we have to use unusual language. But what will happen when Jesus does come, verse 30? It says, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. That Jesus speaking about is the second coming. And he talks about himself as talking about the Son of Man. He's making reference there to Daniel 7, verse 13. Have a little look at it later. And this Son of Man will come, and it will not be like his first coming. Christmas, we celebrate a baby in Bethlehem, seen by a few. No, 
when Jesus comes again, he will come in great glory and all will see it. We've already said that we believe Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, or at least we, sorry, should I say, we will say it straight after the sermon. And when he does, notice the two things that happen according to Matthew 24. There'll be mourning and there'll be gathering. Now what I mean by mourning is not a time of the day, but mourning, grieving, crying. Look at verse 30 again. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all nations of the earth will mourn. I take it that those mourning, grieving, crying, are those not ready for the return of Christ. Those who opposed him, those who opposed, opposed his followers, those who choose to ignore him, or those who didn't hear his call or at least respond to his call to repent and believe in him. The return of Christ will be a terrible day for people who have done that, for people who have ignored him. But it will be a day of joy and comfort for those who have received Jesus and have longed for his appearing. The people, verse 31, call the elect. They won't mourn, they won't grieve, they won't cry they will be gathered by Jesus, safe, secure, gathered from all four corners of heaven and earth. Now how that works itself out in detail, I can't tell you, I'm not totally sure about it. How everyone, everywhere at one time can see Jesus, I haven't got it all worked out yet. But what I do know is it will happen because Jesus said it would. And verse 35 says, although heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. His words are as true today as when he spoke them over 2,000 years ago. And they are true if I die and he hasn't returned. And long after this world has ended, they will be true. But you see, here is the issue. If we have a problem with what's here in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, our issue is with Jesus. His words couldn't be clearer. And given this will happen, surely the question I need to ask you, you need to ask yourself as I ask it of myself, is what will happen to me on that day when Christ returns? Will I be found mourning, weeping, a life wasted. Or will I be part of the elect gathered? Morning because I haven't followed Jesus and I've given up on him because the world hates me and quite frankly it's too hard to follow Jesus. Or gathering because I've endured to the end and been saved. You see how this issue of where we are with Jesus really matters. Because what Jesus does with us then depends on what we do with him now. And all of that sounds pretty black and white because you and I were quite polite. We want a sort of middle way. We're the Church of Ireland, the via media. 
Well, I hate to tell you, verses 30 and 31 show us that there are only two groups. The mourning or the gathered. Whereas in Matthew's gospel, it tells us the wise and the foolish. The sheep or the goats. And that's why we need to keep on listening to Jesus. And today we need to grasp this. That in Jesus' love and kindness, he's lovingly warning us, lovingly encouraging us. And he's showing us that a past event, that our present reality symbolize and guarantee the future return of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word of warning. It's a loving word. We pray that we would take seriously, Lord, that the fact of a past reality in 8070 and the present realities of a world that persecutes Christians and grows from wickedness to wickedness symbolize and guarantee the future return of Christ. Lord, we pray that even as your word goes out this morning, the people who were mourning will be part of your elect. Help us all, Lord, to take seriously to take seriously where we are with Christ, that we may know your comfort and your encouragement in these words. And we thank you, Lord, for the truthfulness of your word to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, that heaven and earth will pass away, but that your words will never pass away. And so, Lord, help us not just to listen, but to respond in repentance and faith this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And we're going to remind ourselves of that reality of Jesus coming again as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Thank you for being with us today. We pray that this service has been an encouragement to you, a challenge and a help to build you up in your faith in Christ. We've now ended our church service and we'd be delighted if you can join with us again. Thank you for being with us in Donna Cluny Parish. God bless you.